Hey, welcome to Minor Details. I'm Nick. And I'm James. And we are two industrial designers in the big city. Sweating the small stuff. Woo. Oh, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Um, yeah, we, we did a little special bottle opener because James brought his bottle opener this week. I did. And also, congrats. You launched Edor. Thank you very much. If you uh, missed last episode, James launched his small design brand. Check that out. It's really amazing. Um, but I wanted to ask you, how did it go? It's going well. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a little bit higher price point. We got a 3D printed bottle opener here. Right. But uh, yeah, I think it's going well so far. And I'm just very, I'm just super invigorated by the whole experience. Really? Yeah. You like it? I really okay. like it a lot. And I just like... All the little pieces, like getting, you know, getting the bags. Oh, you get a little the, like, nice packaging. Getting the stamp, getting the custom stamp. Right. Um, you know, getting all the bits and bobs together. I've got this this thing that cuts perfect circles out of paper. So I've been stamping and then cutting out circles and writing like thank you notes. Oh, that's nice. Um, you get handwritten thank you notes? Yeah. I did not give people I handwritten mean, thank you notes on my ball opener. You know, it's 20, 20 piece limited edition. That's true. That's true. Um, and then uh, I also just got myself a... Um, uh, I was just telling you about it. What The what? Print, label printer. Yeah, label printer. For shipping. For shipping. And it's just like changed my life i gotta i gotta say i printed out all my labels on my just hp crappy printer really and then cut out all the paper like it was just paper yeah <laughs> cut it out and then had to tape it down with like it was a disaster i went it wasn't a disaster it was just very time consuming i went over to um amazon mm, amazon and i was looking at that amazon choice let's yeah. see i think this is all, these are like normal. Let me, shipping label maker. Yeah, I mean, it can really save you time if you're shipping a lot of things. This guy. Oh, is that your label maker? This is my label maker, the Rolo label printer. And it's, I, it's I really cool like it. It's yeah. got a, it's got a very like retro. It's very boxy. Design. That's cool. And um, yeah, the, the labels just feed in through the back. And I, th- I think it's supposed to, it's supposed to print like, ah, is it like 10 X faster than other printers or oh, something just like shoots that? Them out super it's quick. very, very fast. And the setup was super easy. There was like a ton of videos. Like it was a step-by-step video process of like how to set up your printer. Yeah. And it was great. I think they're, I don't think they're like a huge company. Um, we are not sponsored by them again. We don't have sponsorships. That's not a thing yet on minor details. So this is just me talking so, about something. There's a little bit of bitterness in there. There's just <laughs> this is just me talking about something that I that I bought that I enjoy using. Um, um, so yeah, shout that's out cool. Sorolo. The real question though is James, what's the next product you're working on? Are you are you working on one? Yeah, I am. I am working on. Um, I'm actually working on another bottle opener. Um, so when I posted about the bottle opener, I, I like in some of my initial posts, I posted a thing that was um, like a, a bunch of the iteration. Oh, right, right. And so I'm I'm actually making like the key style one. Right, like kind of the bar, yeah. the bar blade type of bottle yeah. opener. And so um, that one, the sample is coming soon. Mm. And I was actually... 
So I was thinking about this and I was talking to uh, Mao GV yeah, the yeah. other day. Mm-hmm. I, I had a video chat with him and um, sort of came upon this idea with Edor that one of the things that I really want to do with the brand is like continually improve upon the design. Because it's 3D printed? Because it's 3D printed. Yeah. And so like, you know, my, the ultimate future for me, for for product designers in general, I think, is being able to edit products yes. like UX UI designers. Exactly. Because your apps and everything always update, but never the, your products. Right. You have to like buy a new product. So like one of the things that I've been thinking about for this bottle opener, the Wayne bottle opener, is putting a hole up here so that the the leather can come in and around this and out of it. Ooh. But if you buy it without the necklace, you can also put it on the stand like Ooh. that. Getting fancy, James. Yeah. So, um, you know, just little things like that. That's kind of fun. I think I, that's what I want the brand to be about is just like, I like that. Know, these, this constant iteration. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. Um, also you, you launched, you launched, uh, your most recent episode of Brace Makes. Yes. Dropped a dropped a new episode of Brace Makes. We covered paper craft in this episode. I watched this episode. And if you guys aren't familiar with Brace Makes, um, it's a, a prototyping YouTube video channels thing. Yeah. That that Andrew Brace is doing. Um yeah. it's really cool. You guys talked about making just cardboard cutouts at the first episode. Second episode was using just kind of what you had on hand, cardboard bottles trash that kind of stuff yeah this episode was all about the paper craft origami style of prototyping yeah and <laughs> came to the realization that at the scale that we were using probably not the most appropriate right it was um, it was kind of hard to fold the like tiny pieces of yeah paper to make a dome i mean the dome was only like what three inches in diameter yeah so i mean you know one of the reasons that i felt so strongly that we should approach do an approach like that is because of how many small design studios you see using that method right like right. jamie wolf and invisibility yeah and people seem to re- be really curious about it but i mean andrew learned the hard way and then <laughs> he because he was like i want to try this out before right. we record it right and it was like two and a half hours for him to do like the dome and the um, back propeller arm. Yeah, I think part of it was definitely the fact that it was a small object. I think also one thing that I was thinking about when I was watching this video is yeah. that you guys kind of approach it as through the idea that you were just going to do the entire helicopter. Right out of paper yeah. in which, and, and where I've seen this technique used better is if you do the parts of the object that need the paper. And then mm. for example, like the tail of the helicopter is flat. So that would be, that would have been much easier to just cut out cardboard. Right. And so right. you would combine different elements of prototyping yeah. to get, cause, cause the value of this prototype over the previous cardboard prototype was that this prototype, it was actually the correct proportions right because you plugged in the paper folding software into your cad yeah yeah and i mean one of the things so yes i i agree with that i think that there are to like do pure paper craft is not necessarily the best way but right. like but when appropriate but yeah when appropriate but there were there were definitely like 
Yeah, I think I think in watching the videos, you could definitely get a sense of like how to do mixed media, right? Because we we took this one as far as as we could go, because otherwise we would have <laughs> if we had built out this whole thing, you would have had to quit your job. Crap, yeah, basically. <laughs> but um, Andrew also discovered through Slicer the program. You know, the other thing that we were really concerned with like with this whole first part of the series is using things that were like free and easily accessible. Right. So I think slicer is a free program and, um, Andrew was able to get another type of configuration out of slicer. Um, you know, he used it for the paper craft, but then he figured out this sort of like exoskeleton method right, or with cardboard or slotting them together. Yeah. Not like exoskeleton, sandwiching, almost like, almost like boat, boat making like slotting right uh, however you would describe that right um and i thought that was really interesting because i could see after doing that putting paper over that to like make it this solid form right and yeah so it's super you know it's been super interesting to do these videos with andrew and and the series is going to continue and just get more and more like the fidelity is going to get better. Right. We're also going to be figuring out parts of the construction that I haven't figured out how, yet. How far are you going to go? Are you going to get, are you going to get a manufacturing samples from a we'll, factory? We'll see. We'll All right. See. That'd be cool, man. That would be sweet. Everyone's been wanting these little helicopter toys for, I know, I've, for however long you've been doing it. I feel like I'm just, I'm just a big old tease. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much all for me. What about you? Nick? Oh, Oh Yeah. I got carried away with her, all our updates. Uh, I I went to Texas. That was a cool thing I did. Um, I went to visit my friend. Back Jake. home? I wouldn't say it was home. Home on I, the range? I, I lived there for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't been back to Texas since I moved to New York, so it's almost been two years. Yeah. Um, I went back to my friend Josiah and Marina's wedding, um, and... Yeah, it was fun. I think it's funny to go back and just see the contrast between Texas and New York. Yeah. Because I've completely forgotten about Texas, like the nuances of it. Mm. Because, first of all, everyone drives there. Right. And I don't have a car anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I kind of Ubered around a bit, and then I, like, was, was walking around. And also, Texas is just huge. Yeah. So, you think, like, something's three blocks away. Well, that's, like, 30 minutes away. (laughs) Um Three cattle drives away. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think, was there anything that posit like, well, not to say that the things you've noticed aren't, they're not like exactly positive, but are there things, you were posting things on Instagram while you were there and yeah, I yeah. was like, whoa, that's in Texas? Like, Yeah, yeah. Well, so I lived in Fort Worth, Texas and... Yeah. Uh, there, there. The one thing that I really like is the Fort Worth Water Gardens, mm. which is a very beautiful, like architect, very modern kind of architectural uh, park in the city, and it, it has these really crazy fountains. Um, it has like three fountains, and like, oh yeah, it's kind of like steps, like stair steps of fountains. Um, That's wild. It's it's interesting. Check it out uh, if you have a chance. You know, you, you guys can Google it, or if you're watching the video, you can see it. But yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, that's a always a fun place to visit when I'm in Fort Worth. Um, oh, uh, so Josiah is a industrial designer. He was an industrial designer at Petmate um, when I was there, and I still is. 
And uh, so there's a few other industrial designers at the wedding. So I nice. got to meet up with some designers and uh, one of them was a fan of the podcast. So excellent. Shout out to you guys. Shout outs. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's fun. To, it's fun to visit. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> um, oh, also the Uber drivers talk to you in Texas. Mm. Uber drivers don't talk to you in New York, New York. Yeah. You know, also you have to wave at people when you walk down the street. Um, you don't wave at people in New York either. You know, you know, I'm walking around in the, like the neighborhood. Oh, I saw my old apartment. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Sorry. My brain's going a mile a minute. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like I guess people are friendlier in Texas. Um, yeah, I remember I went to, um, a wedding a couple years ago. Uh, one of my best friends from college and, I had to Uber around everywhere. Right. And wait, where was it? You said this was in Arlington. Okay. And Texas. Yeah. Okay. And one, one of the Uber drivers that came, he was talking to me and he was like, yeah, man, you know, I was, uh, I was in Walmart getting my eyes checked. And then <laughs> I saw the request and just like walked out. Oh my God. Also, also, yeah, there's so many questions. On yeah, that. there's a lot. Because why would you have the Uber app open when you're get at a doctor's visit? <laughs> In the Walmart. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. But um, yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like a cool place. And like when you were living there and designing there, I, I mean, maybe it's the the whole Instagram thing, influencer thing, but you made it seem pretty cool. Well, and it's like, and, and no, I mean, the thing is, is that I've often thought about later on down the road, I feel like people who think that they're going to have families and they're going to have to move out of the city in order to like go somewhere right. and settle down. To me, it kind of reassured me that you can be connected and you can also do great work. Right. Like wherever you are. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I do. I mean, first of all, I, I think Texas is a cool place. Yeah. It's, it does have a lot of pros. Um, for me, I just got a little tired of it and I just wanted the, the design, the strong design community up here in New York. But, yeah. um, you know, it's like wherever you are, you just have to embrace the, where you are in life. You can't sit around and like be sad that you're, yeah. you're in the place that, you know, you maybe don't isn't the best place. It's like, Hey, just make the best of what you have. You right. Know? But what if we got a bunch of designers to all move to the same town? Wouldn't that be cool? I've thought about that. And just like, I've we, thought about that. We could just, it, we could just like invade and redesign. <laughs> well, so, you know, my family has a, a farm out in Kentucky, right? Middle of nowhere, Kentucky. I've always thought about like, what if I moved out there and like built a design studio Yeah, and you know, had a bunch of designers come and we, you know, there's, it'd just be us. There's like nothing else around. Yeah. Uh, didn't, didn't someone do that? Like, didn't, uh, an architect, Frank Lloyd Wright do that? Did he? I think he might've, there was like a Frank Lloyd Wright school or maybe it was a different architect, um, where he like started his own kind of commune essentially. Let's see. <laughs> um, Maybe it wasn't Frank Lloyd. I, I can't remember. It was an, archi an architect that had started his own kind of school slash, you know, dorm slash work 
thing. It was yeah. interesting. I think it was, it might've been on a 99% invisible podcast. I can't remember. Huh? Um, we'll have to, well, uh, yeah, well, I don't well, know. We can, uh, you know, I want to find out about his, I'll, I'll link to it or his something. cult. I want to find about, out about <laughs> it, the Lloyd Wright. Yeah, it did. It did definitely sound cultish. I was, I'm not exactly sure if it's Franklin Wright. So don't, okay. don't quote me on that. We will link to it or, or find it or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, oh, buy a pin guys. Oh, buy a pin. Yeah. We still have pins. We've got pins. If you want to support the podcast, buy a pin. <laughs> um, it's actually, um, the best way to use it as a bottle opener is you, to take it out of the sleeve and just pierce. Oh, pierce the top of the, the top back, of it. The back and, of the pin. And then you just, no, actually you have to create two holes in order for there to be a circulation That's of true. air. That's true. You know, yeah, but yeah. you'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, hey, design news. I thought this was a good worthy design news shout Good worthy. Uh, yeah, good worthy. It's on Nick's good worthy list. I have a good worthy list and I have a bad worthy list. <laughs> I hope I'm on the good worthy one. Um, the industrial design studio Frog yeah. designed a conceptual wireless earbud project, which I thought was really interesting. Um, it is called the Unum? Unum? U-N-U-M, I believe. Yeah. Um, I know Jung Soo Park, designer at Frog, had had, had that up. Uh, Adam Wrigley. Adam Wrigley. Francois Nugent. Uh, and uh, K- KB Lee. KB Lee. Oh, we're sorry if this we, is, we yeah, butchered Yeah, we're names. botching. It's, it's inevitable. But the idea behind the project was, you know, we all have these AirPods in or wireless earbuds, and they kind of, you know, they fit in your ear, and they block off the exterior sound yeah which you know is good in some circumstances but not all circumstances and it kind of like shuts you off from the world so their idea behind this one was what if the sound is like i believe it's like induction yeah into your mind and it it looks like a a hoop like a circle i thought it was that there were a bunch of speakers just like facing facing towards your ear like it like might tiny be speakers. It might be that too. I'm not quite sure. Oh my gosh. Um, We're so good. We're so good at design <laughs> news. We understand things thoroughly before we bring them to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They. Uh, so in the end, the team at Frog came up with the design you see pictured above. They created a ring that hangs around your ear with speakers for the sound built in. Um, so yeah, I think it, it still a, has speakers. It, it's not like one of those bone... It's not bone induction. Well, I don't think it's bone induction. I'll say this. It is a conceptual product or project. So it's not a real product. There's not a word. There's not a, there's not bone. Bone does not feature in this article. James. (laughs) I've got a bone to pick. about your whole bone theory. Um, But I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. It's a really cool form factor. It has this kind of elastic strap that holds onto your ear. Yeah. And it's, it's quite beautiful to be honest. It's pretty sweet. I would like to try one on. I'm I'm very intrigued by the whole fit. I think you would turn some heads if you wore this around. It is very yeah. But I also think that AirPods are pretty. Um, uh, they stand out quite as quite. Well, yeah. They. I mean, the 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 joke is just like Q-tips right. coming out of your ears. But um, yeah, I think it's a really fascinating product. Product. And did you did you mention that they had. They had some downtime, and that's why they pursued this project. Yeah, I believe that's the case. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's really cool that, you know, 
uh, a studio would take an initiative like that mm-hmm. to to just like, I mean, I feel like that it's a, it's a great moment to kind of flex flex your creative your skills, muscles yeah. and a lot of yeah, and a lot of times too, these large studios are working on projects that you know sometimes they can't even show right can't even talk about so it's yeah. fun it's fun for us to see something that's like a passion project from some some larger studio yeah it's really sweet so maybe we'll have to get one of those guys on the pod someday yeah that'd be good um but yeah actually somebody recommended this on the discord i f- I forget who uh, yeah, probably who oh, put it, it in yeah, there. If you guys want to join the Discord. Join the Discord. Check it out. Also, if you aren't familiar with the Discord, maybe this is your first time hearing it, it's just a chat room. And don't be scared, Mom. It's not there's not any bad people on the chat room. Yeah. So <laughs> we keep it civil and uh we talk about design. It's like a big old uh a family of designers. So Yeah, Brian Donlin. Oh, shout out it? shout out to Brian. Thanks for Thank you for thank you for uh sharing. pointing us to this article. Um but yeah, we got also some micro details. We got James. some micro, micro, micro details. What, what, yeah, what's our uh, micro details segment? Micro details. That's pretty good. Maybe, no, it's, no, maybe not. It's, it's frightening. Maybe it should be like whispering micro details. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is creepy. Sorry, guys. Um, so uh, this week, what we wanted to talk about on micro details details is sink marks sink marks my my sink my kitchen sink's really messy james and and so you clean it and thus create marks yeah, all over just it marks all over my kitchen yeah sink. well um that's not what i'm talking about okay. nicholas okay tell me what you're talking uh, about james what i'm talking about is this thing that happens in especially I, I don't know if it happens in other plastics molding it must um but especially in injection molding sink marks are when you have a rib or a boss underneath the surface and because the i think it's because the surface is cooling faster than the rib it creates a sink right at that point and so i have right right now i have up a uh, product that i actually have which is this bag clip bag clips yeah and um you can see on the surface, you can see these little dimples. It's really subtle. Like it's, you know, when you hold a plastic product, you're probably not gonna notice it, but it depends on it depends on how, I guess, care a designer or the manufacturer went into it. Right. Because I know that, I know that if you leave the product in the injection molding machine for a certain amount of time, you can get rid of sink marks or right. at least diminish them a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all you, about... You kind of see it in the highlight, too. Like, you, you hold it in the light, and you can kind of see yeah. that dip where where it, the plastic was too thick. It's all about the cooling um, of, yeah, of the of the part. Yeah. Um, and, but you know that when designers are making these, these things, that they're intending for that surface to be... Perfectly flat. Perfectly flat. Yeah, we want that thing to be... Oh, so clean. And so... From what I recall, some of the ways that you can avoid sink marks is if you do have any sort of ribs or bosses, the thickness of the walls of those things should be equal to or less than yeah. the thickness of the, the surface yeah. that I they're mean, connected to. Some of this is even getting into some more like engineering kind of details. I know like there's like a certain formula too for thickness of 
the ribs so that they don't get too thick and cause those sinks. But yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things though that, you know, in some of the jobs that I've worked at, it's like the products are simple enough that they give them to designers to make from start to finish. Right. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I worked on at Lifetime Brands, I know of other places mm. that do this is like they entrust designers yeah, with everything I, start to finish. That happened to me. And I put so many sink marks in my product, James. Let me talk. <laughs> so it is, I think it's important for designers to at least be aware of yeah. like this. I remember when I was at Quirky, like it was the first time I'd ever heard of sink marks. Um, and uh, it was this designer, Adam Pascal, and we were looking at, it was the original stapler that Poppin, that company, had come out with. Okay. And the their whole aesthetic is like super clean. Right. And I think that they've fixed all of these. Right. But the top surface of the stapler was just like, it was a wave pool. Oh, it no. Was, yeah. And it was, I like, you know that it was intended to just be super sleek flat. Yeah, and yeah. clean. Yeah, yeah. And, um... You know, it's just something where I, I think, I think my oh, we're gonna show and tell right now. Oh yeah, this has some sink marks on it. So this was a uh, lure stick, a training device I did at Petmate. Yeah. And again, the scenario that you pointed out, James. Sometimes people entrust designers to just design the whole thing. <laughs> no, no engineers were involved. And yeah, there's definitely some sink marks in there. Yeah. You probably can't see it on the video. I mean, the, you mean like around these, oh, yeah, you can around see. the rim? It's yeah, almost as it. if like the the edge of the product has like a dip. Right, because like I think the edge, I guess, cooled faster and then the center gonna, was too I'm going to elongate it so that I can, <laughs> I can bring it closer to the camera. Do you see that, everybody? Oh, dear. <laughs> That's how Nick... Failed, um, but uh, it's not. It's honestly it not functions. that bad. It still functions because at least it's not in the center. At least it's around the it's, edge. It's uniform, so it almost feels more intentional. So essentially, it was one giant sink mark, which means that there's no sink mark. If it's all sink marks, it's there's just, no sink mark. It's just a sink hole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's not the the most egregious no. sink that I've ever seen, but. Yeah. It is something to be aware of and something, you know, these are also things that when you're talking to engineers, I think that you will get some cred. Yeah, you get that cred. For, for knowing these things yeah. and, and knowing how to address them potentially, or at least bringing it up and be like, how do we avoid sink marks? Right. And then the engineers go, oh, <laughs> he knows. He knows. He knows too much. He's not just a, a dumb art kid. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Segway. It's a Segway. Listen, listen I, I'm not good with the Segways. Let's just get into it. I think our, our topic we wanted to cover this week was having to design for facets or constraints that aren't necessarily tied to the end user. And, you know, the big one is obviously like engineering and feasibility. Like, yeah, that's. A, a given, but I think there's a lot of more tangential ones that that sometimes come up and are sometimes can be like even more impactful than you know engineering can be. Um, so I think maybe just to start off, like one one of the things is like 
getting around other designs, whether it's like mm. a, a patent or like a similar design. Yeah. Um, oh man, I would love to get into a patent conversation. Because I, I find, I find patents to be. Um, I think originally what patents were attempting to do yeah. was obviously to protect somebody's IP, but also to to have sort of a database so that um, people had a jumping off point for new innovation because they know they have like essentially a record right. of what is being done right. and how they they might change or alter that. Right. I find that a lot of times what patents do is make make it so that some brands they have to make a product. They got to make that salad spinner. Yeah. Like people are expecting a salad spinner out of that company. However, Xylus has got a patent on their awesome mechanism. Oxo's got a patent on their awesome mechanism. And so all you can do when you're working, this seems like a, a when you're working for dirt cheap, <laughs> and you do, don't have many engineers on staff that are dedicated right. to every single project. It's a first-hand experience. It you like. you have to essentially make the worst version of a salad spinner that of the mechanisms that are available to you. Right, because there's only like because of the nature of physics. There's only so many answers to the problem. Yeah. And everyone has figured out all the good answers and you're stuck with the one bad answer. Exactly. <laughs> and you, unless you want to get sued, yeah, you have to essentially put out something that is worse. It's, it's kind of an, it's really unfortunate, right? Like, because it's almost like we're forced, you're, you're forced to do this because of a, some sort of business plan of like, Hey, you know, we don't have any space in this market. We need to have a product here. And even the, like, even you can't make a better product because you're boxed out with yeah. patents. And so yeah. you have to make an inferior product that, you know, you were better off just letting the competitors dominate. Right. right. Like from a society, societal standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really unfortunate. And I think it's like, a very it's a very common situation for companies especially you know bigger companies that are putting out the you know the updated offerings every year right they have to have the full suite of products right and you know i just it it got me very frustrated when i was working on these kind of things because i felt like i couldn't make the best version of something. I was like boxed out of making the best version of yeah. something. Uh, yeah. I don't, and I don't know if there's a solution to that or not. It's just, I mean, that's almost one of those things where it, you have to kind of change it from the, the top down. Yeah. You got to be the CEO saying like, you know what? We're not going to make this product. I know that we're going to take a loss and yeah. that, you know, we're not going to make money on it, but it's for the better good. But the problem is that <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a horrible business plan, right? Like, yeah. You're going to lose profits. It like it does just strike me that it it seems like it's it's working counter to what the patent the whole patent system is all about, which is about about yeah. innovation and improvement. Right. Um, yeah, I mean I, you know, I I I've known about patents for a while. 
just from my uh, experience with the the nightlight and yeah and other uh, things and it's just like patents used to help the inventor they used, right. they used to be the thing that an inventor could you know come up with something in his garage and become a millionaire and unfortunately now that's not the case yeah it, it, unfortunately patents really only help the the corporations that have enough money to sue other people right yeah because an inventor has zero dollars to sue like, right you can't <laughs> and pat a patent doesn't mean that no one can copy your idea a patent means that you have the right to sue that person and win yeah so anyone can copy your idea if, if you have a patent doesn't matter people can copy you as much as they want you can sue them and win yeah but i mean who's going to shell out a hundred thousand dollars for a, a lawyer yeah so, and, I mean, that's a whole... Uh, well, yeah. and then there's the whole thing about the, your patents only are with only are in effect really within the United States. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, how are you going to sue someone in, you know, China or, or some other place? Yeah. But, um, oh, gosh. I had another I had another thought, but I'm... On patents? Yeah, I just, I don't know. The whole, the whole system is frustrating to me. So, so I've, I've thought a lot about this. People sometimes ask me, you know, Nick, are you going to get a patent on that? And, you know, that usually I just kind of tell them what I just told you guys is like, it's it's not really worth your time. I, well, I'll, I don't want to give that advice because I think you guys should research it yourself. In my opinion, I don't give patents or I don't get patents because it just doesn't seem that worthwhile to me. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's specifically in design. If you're designing like some, if you're a chemical engineer and you're coming up with sort of like a crazy like chemical like solution, like yes, I think that's patentable or whatever. Um, also, if you work for a company and the company's paying for the patent, like there's many exceptions. Yeah. Um, but that's my kind of thing. It's like when I design some like fun little, you know, toy or, or piece of furniture, it's like, it's really not about that. What it What it's more about is getting to the market first. Like right. if you're the first person to make that one thing, people are going to know you for that and they're yeah. going to, they're going to buy it from you and you're going to make the majority of the profit and you might get ripped off like yeah. a couple months down the line and you might lose some profits to that, but you made the biggest chunk. Right. And I, I, what I was going to say is that, so the patent system started in 1790. In, so if you think in, in the world or just the U S uh, this was in the U.S. I wonder if we were the first per people to. I'm not sure. Patent, let me patent law. Let me check. That's interesting. Um, but no, started with the Venetian statue of 1474. Oh, interesting. But anyway, what I was gonna say is is that I have this feeling like their patents were useful and functional back when product development and creating new things was a long, long process. Yeah. Like, and because patents also have, what, the 20-year limit? Is that I, how long it is? I'm not exactly sure the yearly limit on it. I think it's 20 years. I think there's, like, a, a distinction to be made here, specifically... Yeah, 20 years. Specifically in the terms of, like, industrial design versus just patents in general is because a lot of patents are utility patents, which means it's a functional thing. Right. right? Like, so the chemical engineer comes up with a new formula... Or like we come up with a new mechanism for some sort of you know device, whereas design patent is purely form, right? And those are two separate things, and they're two 
patentable things. Yeah. Like the Coca-Cola bottle, I believe, has a design patent. Yeah. No functionality in that. It's a simple glass bottle. Right. But you can't copy that exact design, that exact form. Well, I don't know, unless... Because when did they patent that? I feel like... Oh, we need to get some some professionals in here. It's been 20 years. (laughs) Yeah, so it says that... um, it's 20 years, but I guess you periodic fees are required to maintain. But yeah, I just feel like 20 years back in the day when you were developing a new invention, a new product, like waiting for 20 years to come up so that you can use that same technology probably didn't feel like such a long time. <laughs> but now with how rapidly yeah, yeah. things are created, mm-hmm. it, it's like an eternity. Right. You yeah. Know. Also, another another part of this equation that I think is is kind of another sticky situation is, you know, we're kind of talking. So if we step away from the functionality aspect of a patent or functionality aspect of just owning some sort of like device and get into the form aspect mm. of like, have you ever been designing a product and the form comes up to look something similar to another form? Mm hmm. And you have to be able to like get around that in some way. And it's not necessarily a, a legal thing in that case, right? Like, you know, maybe you design a chair and that chair looks similar to another chair. Yeah. It's not, it's not like if you made that chair, you know, the company will come after and come after you and sue you. Cause it's, it's kind of different. It's just similar. Yeah. But it's almost like a, um, like a reputation type of thing. Right. Yeah. No, and I I I feel like all you need is reputation and shame now. <laughs> Public exactly. media shame. Exactly. You don't need patents anymore. Right. All you need is just shaming. Like does it really matter like you know, if some big company knocked off some small designer, it would it would you know, you can see the comment section already yeah. like on the Instagram just like shaming them. Oh, if you want to have a really good time Go on to the Greyhound bus Instagram <laughs> and just look at that. Look at those comments. I don't. Yeah, that's... I I feel so bad for whoever has to run their social media because they are really trying to put forth like a good effort and it's just a cesspool. Right. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that's that's tangential. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's just like bottom of the line. You're going to have a bad experience at Greyhound. You got to go in accepting that fact, right? <laughs> like that's just how it's going to be. It's awful. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I It almost feels to me like a design patent. If you have like a really specific looking item, like is it almost more valuable than a utility patent? I think it depends. It's. If your brand is based on a very specific form language. Like the Coca-Cola bottle. Yeah. And and that's another thing. It's like... Because I never would have thought that. If you had told me that there's utility patents and design patents, which one's more important? Like, I'd be like, oh, a utility patent, obviously. Right, right. But I almost... I don't know. Like, a design patent is almost like... You're not only copying the function. You are literally copying everything. It, it, if... So, I mean, there's, there's a difference, right? Like if you made, I don't know, say a doorstop that was the shape of a Coca-Cola bottle, it's not the same function, but you would still get sued because it's the same form. Right. So there, there's the difference. But, um, yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting because when I think about 
specifically a lot of my projects, a lot of times I'm combining a function with a form. Yeah. And some people can uh, tie those, tie one of those together with something else. So my one example is, um, I think we might've talked about it way back when on the podcast, but uh, my birdhouse concept where Oh yeah. It sticks onto telephone poles, right? Yeah. And there was another designer who had designed a birdhouse that was a roof tile. And they both had kind of a similar form and also had that uh kind of gorilla type of function. Yeah. Um and so people started like saying, Nick, you just copied this person. It's 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 not an exact copy, right? It's like a similar idea. Right. Um, it is literally just like a distilled birdhouse. Yeah. Modern distilled birdhouse that is in an unexpected place. Right. And and so the thing is, is like it was a problem because it was they're both in these unexpected places as opposed to if, let's say, they were just a birdhouse, like a, just a simple square with the triangle roof on top. Yeah. And I just made a simple square with the triangle roof. No one would blink an eye. No one would be like, you copied right. the classic birdhouse. Because because it's it's like not, you're not creating something new. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is kind of the problem that I see with, that you will come up against with minimal design. Right. Is, is like, of course, it's going to... I don't know if you distill a birdhouse down to its basic elements and take away all decoration, like there's only really a couple forms that it's going to take to register as a birdhouse. And so like, yeah, it's, it is like this weird, this weird thing where if you were to design something with a bit, a bit more like, I don't know, uh, a different kind of character, like more character infused, you're less likely to have copied somebody else, but I don't know. It's also just like there's simultaneous invention, which is like something that happens all the happens time. Happens all the time, and, and yeah, it's it's. I wish people knew about this more because a lot of times it it happens, and then people get upset about it. Yeah, um, you know, it actually just happened to me just recently. Like really, just the other day. Yeah, really. I haven't told you about it. I'll tell you off the pod. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like. I had this concept and I showed it to the client and they were like, Hey, we love your concept, except it looks exactly like this other item. Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh crap. How how am I now? I have to, you know, the options are like, well, I, I can either completely change the concept or I can change it just enough so that it doesn't look like this other product. But again, it's like when you go back to the drawing board, it's like, well, I mean, if it if it's already out there and it looks exactly like my concept, like changing it slightly, like that's not gonna give you much. I, I don't know. It's like people are gonna see like, oh, well, that kind of looks like this thing, and you're not gonna get that reputation. Right. Or you might even get, oh, you think you just changed it slightly, like yeah, yeah. You might even lose some reputation on that. Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's it's a tricky situation, but it's. It is a situation that a lot of, I would say, especially young designers starting out often deal with is given being given projects where they're designing around things, you right. know, it's like, especially if you're working for a bigger company, I feel like that is 
Because if you're working at a design firm, I feel like there's so much emphasis on like, know the market, like provide us with something new and novel. And, and so like you're, you're kind of like set up for success to do something new and interesting. Right. Cause they're reaching out to someone. But if you're working at something that's more corporate, right. Like you're going to have to design like the next line of things. And there's these products that you have to do. And, Oh, this is this new innovative thing that this other company is doing. That's right. very successful. Like how can we try to replicate that over here? Yeah. And that's where you get into this like really difficult situation. Also, I know, it, I know it happens a good bit online with Amazon. There's mm. kind of the, the Amazon war of like, Hey, this, this is the top selling item on Amazon. Right. And here's what it does. Yeah. Now, can you make an item that does all this stuff and does it better or like mm. adds this extra little bit? Yeah. And you all, it's like you're trying to make something different, not because you think it's a good product to go out in the world and, you know, you know, be useful to whoever buys it. You're making it purely just to beat out the other product. Right. And I don't have a solution to that. I think it's just, I mean, it, I guess the solution for those who might be in a scenario like that is like, you know, maybe it's, maybe there is a way. That's yeah. how I always look at it. It's like, yeah. you know, maybe I could create a better product than any of the products that are out there. Like maybe you could create the salad spinner that hasn't been thought of yeah. yet, that uses like anti-gravity or dark energy or something. And like, <laughs> you know, like maybe, maybe you could be the one that can, cause there are those people like there are, the, there's the person that made the car, you know, there's the person that made the phone. Like there is the person that redefined the entire industry. Right. And that's the kind of delusional thinking that you need as a young designer exactly. in order to survive <laughs> the slog of everyday living. I think a little delusion is good in your life. Yes. I, I think the, the, best, the best designers and inventors are literally delusional. Like, they have to be. I mean, it's true. I mean, the, the stuff we come up with, James, is kind of crazy at times. Like, you know. What, what? Yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the heck are we doing here? Um, but yeah. So, young designers, beware. Be warned. Be warned that S sometimes S you aren't designing for the user. Yeah. Sync marks and and lawyers i guess and lawyers patents um let's get to some questions yeah let's get to some questions hey yeah i guess what <gasps> we had a voicemail come in a voicemail yeah if you want to guys if you want to send in a voicemail to our google voicemail you, you can send it into one six four six four nine four forty eleven don't worry we won't answer you can just leave a voicemail you can leave as many as you want if you mess up hang up wait we're not track. supposed to answer no have you been answering that James, James is not bad. He's joking. <laughs> we won't answer. Don't worry. Okay. All right. This one comes from David. Put it up there. Hey, Nick and James. This is David from Columbus, Ohio. I'm a design student. I just finished up an internship with the Universal Design Project, and I couldn't help but, like, I learned a lot about Universal Design through it, and I couldn't help but feel like this should be more essential to how we design things and like talked about more so of like good design is universal design. I feel like that was kind of their philosophy and I kind of agreed and yeah. So just thoughts on why people don't talk about universal design more and like why it's not a bigger deal. I don't know. I think it's cool. It should be a thing. That's all. Thanks for the great podcast. And yeah, uh, you guys are really cool. 
Thanks for sending it in, David. Thank you, David. I actually had to look this up. Universal Design Project. Uh, I wasn't familiar. I also, universal design just seems like a very broad term. So I had to kind of get the definition of that as well. Right. Um, but yeah, you said you were, you had seen this before. Okay. So from what I recall, and I don't know if this is the same, the same people. Um, but I had someone come to school when I was in design, when I was in Virginia tech industrial design program that taught us about universal design. And I think he was one of the people who kind of created the constitution of okay. universal design. And from, from what I remember of universal design, I mean, on their, on the project's website, they say the mission is to help make communities more welcoming to people affected by disability through the use of universal design. The potential to improve lives of individuals and families with disabilities is what motivates us. That said, it's important to recognize that universal design is beneficial for everyone. So there was like right. a lot of case studies around like, you think of OXO. Right. Like OXO was developed because there was a user, there was like a specific user that had arthritis. And so how can we design a better peeler for them? And then, oh, look at that. It it's works a better everyone. peeler for everybody. Right. And yeah, I think that was like the distinction, right? Because, yeah. you know, you think about maybe accessible design or, or designing for people with disabilities, you're thinking about kind of the end scenarios. It's like, you know, you're building a house and it's like, oh, you know, we have stairs on our front porch. Well, if we want people to come in to have wheelchairs, maybe we have to build a ramp in the back. Right. That's not universal design. No. The universal design would be, oh, hey, there's no stairs. There's only ramps. Yeah. Because everyone can access ramps. Is that right. correct? I think, yes. I think that is that is part of it. It's, yeah, it is very much about, I think um, Joey Zeladon, when he came on the podcast, talked about, like, I forget the term he used, but for like a specific type of user that they were focused in on. And so like when I was in school and we got this universal design project, we were given people with disabilities to design for. And it was designing a cell phone, mm. a smartphone for right. people with these disabilities. And so my group, we ended up um, getting the persona of a guy that had one arm. Okay. And so how do you use a smartphone with one arm? And of course, like once you figure out how to like design some some uh, a product for someone with that like scenario in mind, then that becomes applicable to right. all people using using their smartphones while they're driving. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, you can do it. Um, but uh, I think other groups like they got somebody with dementia. You know, mm, so like, I think that was a lot more about the interface right? and, but yeah, it's like the whole thing is, is yeah. Designing for that extreme user. And right. then how does that then benefit the broader market? Yeah. I mean, I think that's great. I mean, obviously if you can benefit as many people as possible, that should be the goal. I, I do think like maybe, maybe one of the questions that Dave was saying was like, why isn't this implemented more? Yeah. I think maybe one facet of that is if you are designing for the extreme user, sometimes, you know, that, that like fifth percentile of people is not like the solution for them 
is not going to benefit the other people. And right. it might even be a, a detriment for someone, someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know how the, you said one of your teams designed a phone for someone with dementia, yeah. right? Like, I don't know if that necessarily extrapolates to the, everyone else. Right. Maybe there's facets of it, but I think maybe that's where, you know, sometimes it just needs to be a selective thing. Right. And, but I think that just like with kind of the form families, it is, it could be a part of the creative process of, okay, if I funnel this idea, this product that I'm working for through this filter, yes, mm-hmm. how might that look different? How might that function differently? Right. So like, yeah, if I'm working on a salad spinner and it's for somebody with one arm, yeah, yeah. like what does that look like? Right. And so I think it's, it can be a very useful exercise for doing something very innovative and you can do things like you know with those projects in mind you can do something like live an entire day with one arm or i know that my friend oscar in school like lived an entire day as a blind person for his thesis that's pretty crazy you know and it's like okay maybe you're not gonna understand how somebody who has to live every day of their life that way is gonna be but like by by doing that exercise, you can sort of find things that are just like immediately yeah. very difficult. And I, I like that idea a lot. Just like yeah. putting yourself in, in the other person's shoes. Yeah. Um, no, that was good. That was a good question, David. Hopefully that was some, someone helpful, but yeah, guys, everyone that's listening, check out universal design project. Yeah. I think they're doing some great stuff. Um, another question. Another question. If you guys uh, want to send a question in, send it to minor details podcast at gmail.com. Uh, this one actually came from the discord, but I think it was a good question and it actually sparked quite a bit of conversation. Yeah. Uh, this one comes from lofted surface and they say, what do you guys think about curating your portfolio sketches? Do you start sketching, uh, thinking on how it will be displayed in your portfolio or do you just let the thing flow and edit them later? And if you're heavy on the editing, what's the limit redoing them or just some, redoing them on digital just for the eye-catching sake or are you staying true to the design process are you adjusting the hierarchy um contrast or balance uh, several questions there i think maybe what loft surface is getting at is like a lot of times what we're when we sketch out when we're sketching for projects we're not necessarily making the most beautiful sketch right yeah but when you look in portfolios you do see those beautiful sketches and yeah so where is that disconnect or connection happening yeah and i also think you know i I remember reading through the discord people were talking a little bit about have you ever done a project where you actually finished the project and then decided to go back and redo the sketches just for your portfolio oh yeah yeah i've done it i've done it as well yeah what how do you feel about it is it an ethical gray area um i think when you're a student getting started out you need to do everything you can to get a job. I think that's just how it is. Like, yeah, I don't, I think that yes, you might've redone the sketches and that's not necessarily, you know, the, the process you took, but I think, um, I, I think the value of having a beautiful sketch in a portfolio and catching that employer's eye outweighs that like slight, like moral, obligation to show the the true design process i think that maybe later on in your career it doesn't matter as much 
but designs such a competitive field that you really do have to pull out all the stops. Right. I mean, if you want to be more moral about it and like show the true sketches, like that's fine. I just think that you are putting yourself at a slight disadvantage. Yeah. I think that obviously the portfolio process, putting together something, it is a visual storytelling process. Yeah. Like how do you tell the story of how this came to be? And I think that when en- whenever anybody is putting together a presentation for anything, they're putting in slides that don't necessarily represent every part of what happened, right. but it's to strengthen the story. Yes. It's to strengthen the overall, overall story. And I mean, how many, you know, how many companies take, do like multiple photo shoots, different photo shoots right. of the same product. And it is to convey, to convey something different based on the time and the place. Yeah. And I think that, it's totally legit to go back and redo your sketches because what you're doing is you're saying like, this is me and this is my best foot forward. Yeah. Like this is, this is what you can expect from me. If you ask the most from me, if you, you right. know, ask for the best. Cause, cause again, like if, if you show your most up to date sketching skills, that's what the clients or that's what the employer is going to get. Yeah. Right. So I don't think, I mean, if you feel like if you have a job interview tomorrow and you're like, oh God, like <laughs> I I think your sketching is probably good enough or just like good enough for now right. and just go in with that. But if you have some time to work on things and you know, just like one thing a night, if you if you want to update those sketch pages or whatever, I, I don't think that that's a bad idea. How how do you show your sketches on your your portfolio i mean for me i do include those small doodles Mm -hmm. i also make sure the background is white and i usually photoshop it so i usually get rid of any paper and i just rearrange the doodles themselves um and then they're small doodles doodles and then they get bigger as they go down the page or across the page to be more larger concepts maybe you know i throw in the concepts that actually presented to my boss or the client of yeah. like, hey, these are the bigger sketches. These are the ones that are more refined. But I have the doodles that are really small. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I organize it. Because then you are actually kind of showing more of the process. It's like you're not hiding the, the scratchy stuff. Like, no. You know. I think that's totally legit. To be honest, I haven't touched my portfolio in years. Yeah. So, I mean, that that is typically the way that I did it. Is like I had I had sort of like I would foreground like the the culmination of all of the sketches and then kind of background all of the doodles the doodles mm. um so yeah that's th- good too i think uh i think yeah i mean behance is a great way to find inspiration for that kind of stuff right like lay how do you lay out sketches and stuff like that yeah just copy someone's layout yeah just do it <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah i don't know was that did i hope that answers some of the there was a couple questions in there, but yeah, I think that generally helps. I think that's good. And then, um, should we I do one that, more question? I, I think that's all out? the time we've got for today. Okay. Um, the shout out of the week is that isn't that our shout out from last yeah, week. I'm, James, I'm changing it. Oh my God. Come on, Nick. <laughs> uh, the shout out of the week is CW and T studio and their Instagram handle is at Charlie whiskey tango. Um, 
they are a design studio, I believe based in New York. Yeah. Um, designing kind of uh, experimental products and, and cool little, I, they've designed several pens. Um, and I, I really like their aesthetic. They kind of have this kind of industrial scientific aesthetic. Uh, their most recent pen is a super flat ballpoint pen. Yeah. Essentially the pen is the thickness of the ballpoint ink barrel, like the plastic barrel. Right. And then they surround the barrel with titanium. It's really cool. It's almost like a carpenter pencil made. Yeah. Pen. It's like, it's flat has that flat kind of profile, like a carpenter, carpenter yeah. pencil. Um, but yeah, they've made several kind of pens. I believe they do Kickstarter projects. I think that's where most of these things get made. Yeah. But yeah, check them out. Uh, Charlie Whiskey Tango on Instagram. And we'll link to it and everything. Very cool. All right. Well, yeah. As always, uh, let's see. What we got? Uh, Kiyoshi the Kid. Intro and outro. Yeah. We got to like and subscribe on YouTube. Spotify. And give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're getting up there in the ranks of the podcast are we i think so <laughs> i gotta check actually i don't know <laughs> but listen guys if you can't buy a pin just leave a nice little note go to yeah. the go to the podcast app five stars be like hey i like this podcast and here's why yeah oh spread the word spread the word with all the all the design students now that you guys are back in school well, yeah now that you're back in school you better better let those freshmen know what's up that's right those second years first years <laughs> all right as always i'm at nick p baker I'm at I draw on receipts. Peace out. Later.